0: Babbitt. Um, I'm the host of my system. There are currently 13 of us total. Um, We live in Canada, specifically like Ontario region, because I know Canada has several different time zones, so we're in Ontario. Um, And I am mixed race, so I have several different backgrounds, but uh, primarily being African Canadian, Maltese, Dutch, and Welsh are my main ethnicities
1: wow okay so that that's that's a lot
0: yeah yeah like. it really is <laughs>
1: <laughs> like do you get a lot of people um that stereotype i mean like that 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 always like question where you know they're just like so where are you from like do, do you get that a lot it's like oh
0: always friends? yeah all the time all the time mm-hmm. um a lot of people think I'm Indian. A lot of people think I'm Native American or Brazilian. I've even gotten, like, there's nobody can really guess on the first try, like, what my ethnicity is. Um, mm. And I've heard, I've, I've, people have even said, oh, wow, so you're pretty exotic, aren't you? And, like.
1: Oh, my God. And they use <laughs> it as a compliment, and you're just like, that's not, like, it's not a compliment. Like, no, it's. No. <laughs> I'm like, fetishizing my ethnicity, thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. That feels great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and with this um, collaboration project, like what, I suppose, what drew you to um, wanting to, you know, share your voice on this and what is the, the main topic, I suppose, that interests um, you that we're, that we're going to be talking about today?
0: So the thing that really drew me to it is the idea that, like, there's so much going on in the world right now. And I think that the more voices that we have speaking and talking about these issues with race and mental health, I think the better. Um, I think you don't necessarily have to be, like, stereotypically educated, but if you have experience... That is a type of education in and of itself. And speaking from like a pr- a place of experience, I really mm. want to discuss like how the system views your you as somebody of color. How the uh, professional mental health system like you're there's such a lack of seeing yourself in that system. It's so few and far between. Um, mm. And then as well as how there's such a Westernized idealized version of success and healing and what that looks like. And it's not, it's not really that ideal in my opinion. Like there's just, there's so many different ways that success and fulfillment and healing can look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And with the like experiences of, you know, in, in the mental, I suppose it's, I mean, just medical um, health, field in general like do you find that even prior to like you know any any diagnosis or any like mental health support that you guys have gotten um over time have you found like i mean obviously you know back then maybe looking back it wouldn't have seemed like you know professionals weren't uh, adept at uh, handling you know people of color but looking back at prior medical experiences from maybe when you were younger Mm Can you kind of see now where there have been, I suppose, not necessarily faults, but areas where medical health professionals, whether they, whether they be like general health practitioners and things like that, have kind of failed you as, as a collective, I mm-hmm. suppose, as, of colour and just people in colour in general? Like, do you find looking back that you can, you know, really see that now?
0: Oh, ab- absolutely! Um, I remember there was this when I was—I went through a very significant type of trauma when I was around 12 years old, and mm. um, this was just kind of adding on to it to a, a history of trauma that had already happened. So I was seeing like a brand new uh, general practitioner, um, specifically like a pediatrician, and mm. she basically described what, like, I, like, my, my, my parent and me described what was, what was, what I was going through in terms of, like, my emotional and physical health, how my mental health was taking a toll on me physically, and she basically dismissed all of the physical concerns as, oh, it's all in your head, like, it's all, it just, brushing it off is like, oh, it's just, oh, you're fine, like, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll get over it, and she was white, um, she was white, and, We couldn't, we really struggled to even find, we never even found um, a practitioner of color um, at all. Mm. They were all white and coming from that experience. Um, And what I know now is conversion disorder. I don't know if you know what conversion disorder is.
1: No, please enlighten me.
0: Yeah, so conversion disorder is basically, it's a psychosomatic disorder where something in your body stops working because of the amount of stress going on within you. So in my case, when I was 12, my legs were paralyzed. I was paralyzed from the waist down and I couldn't walk for Mm. about a month. Um, And that was conversion disorder where the level of stress I was experiencing was so high that my body just checked out. Like it just stopped Mm. functioning part of it. So... Yeah wow. and it's it's a really it's it's super overlooked. It's really overlooked. Like a lot of people just don't think of it as something that's serious because it's something mental health related, but it can be really serious. It could be seizures and strokes and stuff like that it could be caused by conversion disorder. So
1: mm.
0: I think it's really honestly a a failure as a medical health professional for them to overlook Conversion disorder symptoms and things like that.
1: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Do you find as well that a lot of um because I know that you just mentioned there that it that the the practitioner that you saw at the time and a lot of practitioners I suppose as well they're all white like as in I don't think I mean nowadays that that we're living in Sydney because it is a fairly like multicultural area but Mm -hmm. still a lot of the GPs that. I've seen are white. Sydney has quite a large, like um, uh, Chinese and um, other Asian background populations. So I know that a couple of doctors I've seen have also been um, Chinese, but like majority of doctors throughout a whole entire lifetime have all been white. And I think they're very, yeah, dismissive of obviously you know mental health experiences a lot of the time, mm. but also of race playing a large part in you know, the, not necessarily, I mean, yes, development of um, mental health issues, but also, I suppose, exacerbating a lot of the, the symptoms for existing um, mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah it,
0: it was a really invalidating experience. I went through a lot of bullying as a kid, Because there was no, because I'm mixed race, there was no group I could really fit in. I didn't really fit in with the white kids because I didn't look white. I didn't really Mm. fit in with the black kids because I didn't necessarily look super black either. I was just kind of this gray area. And Mm. so I was bullied a lot and I was ostracized and really just struggling to find a peer group. And I think that was overlooked significantly by people like the adults in my life that should have been there to realize that I wasn't fitting in properly, that I wasn't developing good emotional attachments to people. Um, And Mm. I think that was primarily because the adults in my life were not of color, so they weren't seeing that experience that I was having of being so alienated from Mm. the people in my peer groups. And like even in my elementary school, it was a fairly high end neighborhood, and what that kind of means is that there weren't actually a lot of people of color there. Yeah, and it was in it was a very kind of white population. So, um, you know, as as you do, you d- you adapt. So I adapted, and I did eventually make some friends by high school. But really, for a lot of my childhood, it was a lot of struggling of trying to find my place socially. And I think that mm. that really hindered my development. And I think that could have been helped if teachers were more, and, and doctors and parents and everything were more aware of the kind of racial barriers that there are, with, even with kids.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely can resonate with that because I remember back in primary school, like being the only black kid at the school and just again, because being mixed race, it's just like once I got to high school, like even though there were other black kids, it's like I wasn't black enough. Yeah, and it's still bad. it's just like not being white enough, but it's like having to kind of and because it's like so pushed on by society, like the the normalization of microaggressions and racism that so many people still yeah like, and so many white people discount as being racism because they only think, oh, racism is, like, you know, on the extremism end when there's just all these other levels in the spectrum, but Mm -hmm. just feeling, yeah, so alienated and ostracised and just being, like, where do I fit in? And, yeah, like you said, you know, when a lot of the people around you that are, you know, bringing you up or in your neighbourhood are all white, it's kind of like you need to develop that like it you kind of adapt to that normality but also like develop that very white mindset and kind of deal with the racism and then you're just like oh it's okay it's fine and then when you look back you know at at the age that you are now you look back at those things and you're just like this is messed up at the fact that that was so normalized back then and it's just like and how it has affected you now because back then you didn't kind of realize it you know and now it's just like holy crap like, yeah i know part of why i'm just so messed up
0: <laughs> <laughs> like i remember there my one friend friend <laughs> um she they pointed out to me a lot my features that made me look different and they were like oh you have like such a black nose for someone who's so light-skinned and it's like you're I asked them one time if they thought I was pretty because I was 14 and insecure. I was like, oh, do you think I'm pretty? And they're just like, I think you're like a exotic kind of pretty. And it...
1: That's like, like such like a backhanded compliment.
0: Exactly. Like it was so, like it hurts so deep to not, like to have to say that, oh, I'm exotic. I'm not, I can't be normal because I don't look normal. Like that, hmm. like that's the kind of feeling that you get and it's it's so many of like you said microaggressions where it's just like these backhanded compliments these little things that just build up and build up and build up that are just Mm. so detrimental i think in the long run like i now i have such low self-esteem about myself because i can't see myself in you know the media i can't see myself in places where it's like where, where i feel like i could my beauty could be reflected in some way it's really mm. difficult to find that and there's like there's more diversity now obviously which is great but there's still mm. such a long way to go like there's very little if any mixed race people in the media that are celebrated mm. for that um mm it's just more seen as like, okay, so here, here are the groups, here are the groups that we need to stay in. And that's, that's where we live. Um, mm. Which is really, really hard because like I said, you can't, I can't see myself okay. in other women or other individuals um, that have my kind of background.
1: Mm. And especially with, um, with what you're saying about like mixed race uh, people in, in the media representation. It's like, even though because like you know someone's going to watch this video and just be like oh but there are plenty it's like well yeah no even though there are plenty one there need to be more and also it's a very what's the word like eurocentric type of you know mixed race person that's presented like it is very like they have very white features and yes there's different you know variants of, of being mixed race but it's like they always choose to represent those who have very white features it's just that they have you know a slightly darker skin tone as in the features are just like very white and that's like the perfection type of thing and Mm -hmm. it's just so uh, like the fact that it's not recognized by other people and the fact that it's discounted by mental health professionals that that is something that can affect people of color it it just baffles me like I'm just like it, it seems so obvious to me but again it comes back to the fact that a lot of mental health professionals that, and medical professionals that are dealt with are white. And it's like they're just so oblivious to, you know, people of colors like, experience because they're white. And it's like there needs to be so much more education around that or at least just, that I, I mean, at least just the ability to admit that they could learn more. Because I don't know about you, but I found that a lot of professionals that you know, I've dealt with in the past is that they have not been really willing to admit that they can learn more. They're just like, I have this degree. So therefore I know more than you and I've got more authority and more say so on all of this than you do.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, I find that a lot with, <laughs> with people who are, I don't know, with people who are like, have any sort of masters or PhD or something like that, they automatically think, oh, well, I'm, I'm the professional in this subject. So therefore I have all the authority in this subject. And, you know, it even comes down to things like, um, to things like representing, to, to bring more representation. Like someone maybe do their, does their dissertation on, um, race in mental health, something along those lines or something like that, but they may not be of color. And so then they're taking that authority that could be given to somebody of color who's lived that experience. And they're just taking that voice away from them. It, it feels like to me, at least, mm. um, because there could be so many more opportunities for people of color to get to those kinds of positions but there's so many glass ceilings barring them from getting there. There's so many obstacles that people of color and especially people who have disabilities and mental health issues have to go through. There's so many hoops you have to jump to get to those positions. So all those positions are taken by people who come from privilege. Mm. And it's so hard to find somebody who doesn't come from privilege. There was one therapist i had um she was a, she was a psychotherapist she took like the humanist approach to therapy um mm. and she came from not a pre- a place of privilege she didn't come from privilege at all she had a really hard life and when i saw her and i started talking to her about my life she really resonated it was like oh my god you're so strong and she was still able to recognize that she had some privilege being white and i think mm. that's kind of the most educated kind of person is somebody who is able to see where they have benefits where somebody else may not and mm. they're able to recognize where their strengths are in terms of like their privilege with their race yeah Definitely. Like she was probably one of the best therapists I ever had. <laughs> she was really great.
1: It's so hard to find. Good help is so hard to find.
0: Oh yeah, no <laughs> it. It is. <laughs> I'm I'm paying like I think I'm paying $200 a session for my therapist because she's the only one that's one of the only few in my city that is specialized in DID
1: mm. and she's
0: actually of color. So Oh wow. Yeah, she's of. You the jackpot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She specializes in DID. She's of color. I. She's known me since I was like twelve years old. She's mm. really, really great, and I recognize like how how I'm able. Like I, I can barely afford it, but I can afford it. I can afford my yeah. therapy at the minimum, and so it's like just somebody else that is not as privileged as I am may not be able to access that like I'm able to access Mm. that because I'm in school but somebody who doesn't have access to the level of education that I do with the funds that I do then they wouldn't be able to access that therapy and Mm. I just wish that it was more accessible for people because for the longest time I didn't have access to that so I know what it's like to to be struggling, to, to find someone you can connect with and relate to and get the help that you need, Mm. it's, it's, it's such a battle, uphill, uphill battle.
1: In terms of, because obviously, you know, in each, you know, country and everything like it's different, what's the Canadian, like, healthcare system like when it comes to, I mean, trauma disorders is a, is a big thing, I suppose, because, you know, you have one of those, I have one of those, what's that like over there?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, So Canada has universal health care as just a starting Mm. point. So you're able to access any kind of basic health care emergency rooms, stays in hospitals. Those are all covered under your Canadian citizenship. Um, Mm. So unlike in some places, you don't have to worry about medical bills or things like that. The the most I've ever been billed for is maybe like ambulance rides. But even then, Ah. if you're on... If, if you're on some sort of like a uh, disability support, which I am, then even those are covered. So there's a lot of, um, there is definitely some, some cushioning in Canada, I would say just in general uh, healthcare. Um, and then to actually get access to like mental health professionals is a bit more of a struggle because it is all free. You can there's a wait. There's lots and lots of wait lists for the mm. free healthcare, and there's most likely not a specialist um, in specifically trauma disorders in kind of the free healthcare field. So you'll probably need to go and seek um, private practice specialists mm. for that, and the prices on those range. Um, Depending on like how long they've been in practice, if they have a sliding scale, um, but I've seen oh, them yeah. as low as ninety dollars, and then obviously Canadian dollars, ninety Canadian dollars, and then all the way up to like four hundred dollars. Wow,
1: it's a very it's a very um, large scale. For that. Yeah,
0: no, it really is. It's just it depends on the on the professional. It depends on their qualifications and really a lot of factors and obviously when you're going on a budget then you're kind in some cases you're getting what you pay for right like Mm. there's somebody with less qualifications and less experience may be more inexperienced and may not be as suited to help you so as you're diagnosis and things kind of gets more and more layered and complicated you the price kind of starts to go up because then you're Mm. needing somebody with more qualifications who's been around longer and Mm. all that sort of things and not I'm not shitting on new therapists like obviously (laughs) we need need new therapists please keep going to therapy school (laughs) but like um that experience is really key.
1: With, um, because you mentioned before as well, so with um, the, like, what's the disability support system like over there, like, in terms of, um, I guess, the supports that are offered that way, or, like, yeah. is it a specific, like, support system, or it's more just, like, um, I suppose, uh, like, pensions and, like, funding related, like, how does that work?
0: Yeah, so there's the the one that, exists in Ontario at least, it's different for every province, but the one that exists in Ontario is the Ontario Disability Support Program, ODSP, and Mm -hmm. basically they provide funding at the bare minimum for shelter and food and things like that, but then they also uh, connect you to resources. You have a case manager um, who you can contact at any time with questions and things like that, and there's a thing called My Benefits, which has a bunch of resources to things like funding to go to um, programs in the community. So it's like additional funding, like you get $200 or something a year to spend on uh, community programs, and community programs are like $20 each for the Mm. year. So yeah, like it's, it's pretty kind of comforting, I would say, once you get in that system. Um, and then in terms of, like, free supports, um, there are usually a lot of community centers and things. There's the CMHA, which is the Canadian Mental Health Association, I'm pretty sure is that acronym, um, which, and they provide a lot of programs and a lot of local, uh, shelters and things like that for people, um, and... Yeah, like the the amount of money that you get. I don't want to disclose exactly how much, but it's roughly it's roughly enough to rent like a room and then mm-hmm. cover your food and then maybe like a phone bill that's like $50 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like a room mm-hmm. would be around like 500 or so. And Mm. then the rest would be used for like food and basic necessities. So it's not a lot. It's not luxurious. You don't want to be on disability, but it is, it's keeping you out of homelessness, essentially. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful to live in Canada where we have those kinds of supports.
1: Wow.
0: Because honestly, the biggest barrier for people is asking for help is... Mm because there's so much stigma surrounding asking for help and admitting you have mental illness. Mm. So I think where we really need to improve is obviously more funding would be great, but I think um, just releasing the stigma a bit and recognizing that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to reach out and it's okay to need support in Mm. many ways that that's valid. Yeah, like definitely. I think I think that's something yeah. that we as a as a whole even outside of Canada need to overcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely definitely agree with that cuz in um in Australia like we've got a very similar um uh, I guess yeah. health health system um in the fact that yeah it's, we've got, you know, access to um you know public hospitals like admissions and everything like that like very similar to what you were saying about how it is in Canada um and with um because uh we're also on Australia's um disability support pension which you know again isn't isn't luxurious at all you know it gives enough for us to be able to afford rent and food um and we're also on the uh it's like it it's like all of Australia is this um has this it's called NDIS, which stands for National Disability Insurance Scheme, which sounds kind of similar to the one you're describing It's um, province-based, so for uh, Ontario. Um, Ontario? Yeah, yeah. Ontario. Um, <laughs> Ontario, there we go. Um, yeah, so that, you know, gives us funding for, um, we're actually quite fortunate enough because with the application process for it in Australia, it, it like, you know, they, they give you an amount basically um based on you go to like this uh, interview thing and you know explain what your disorder is kind of thing you've got to have like medical papers as well you know backed up by a psychologist mm-hmm. psychiatrist everything like that but they give you an allotted amount per year then they review it every year to see whether you're still eligible but it's um we were fortunate enough to also get approved funding for our therapy, um, which usually oh. would cost um, like 200 a session. And so we've got that approved for the year to just have therapy sessions through NDIS, which is so wonderful oh, <laughs> to my. be able to get that. Cause otherwise we, we wouldn't be able to do therapy. Like it's a straight up, cannot afford it with the, you know, separate pension. That's um, a different organization in Australia. Like as in yeah. for the money for the rent and things. So that's so good. But also, we have the ability to, um, uh, what do you call it, go out and participate in community um, activities as well, um, which at the moment is kind of none of those because. Yeah, I know
0: exactly. At the moment, it's (laughs) none of them, but. It's none
1: of them. (laughs) Um, But what I often think about in regards to that and, um, you know, just disability pensions in general, um, and uh, like you said, with the stigma is. And a question as well to lead on from this is: I find that a lot of people who aren't um, disabled, whether it be physically or mentally, they kind of, they they, it's not even kind of, they look down on those that are receiving the pensions, and they say, well, why don't you work? Why don't you do this? Blah blah. And it's like, it's not quite as simple as that because yeah. of having a disability. But also, it's like they don't recognise that these supports are there to promote you know being able to get to that level of you know what society deems reasonable functioning type of thing which is Mm -hmm. this type of thing because obviously not everyone who goes through these support programs are going to be able to get to that point because it's not you know everyone is impacted by their disability in so many different ways but for people to not recognise that there needs to be more funding put into these areas in order for those who may be able to get to that point where they can, you know, participate in work where they couldn't before, but yet these same people complain that there is too much funding. It's like, well, if you, if you want people to get into jobs, there needs to be funding in order for people to be able to, like in order for disabled people to be able to, learn different coping strategies and and manage their disability however that may see, like however that may be, like you can't have it both ways.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly, like they kind of, people expect, what people expect from everybody is the kind of thing that they expect from themselves, like, oh, I work hard, I do this, I do that, like I, and I'm able to be at this place in my life, why can't other people be the same way? Um, Mm. and I think it's just the failure is that, that they don't realize how hard we are working in our own way, coping with our disabilities and our struggles that we have, um, Mm. that are just a different experience than theirs. That is just so, like, so vastly different in a lot of ways, I think, and, um, that's really cool that in Australia they actually have separate funding to get therapy because we don't have that in Canada. <laughs> I wish we did. Um, that sounds lovely. <laughs> um, yep.
1: It's a lot of hoops, but when you get it,
0: it's great. Yeah, that, exactly. That sounds wonderful, like that you're able to, to get that. Yeah, like mm. I'm only able to receive therapy because I'm in school right now. So I'm using whatever money is not being put towards tuition, I put mm. towards my therapy mm. um, because so basically i 'm just getting like funding from <laughs> different areas just trying to get the resources that I need because I want to thrive in a way that mm. that I deem successful in a way that mm. I deem valuable um, mm. which may not look the same to somebody else, um, like the success that my significant other kind of defines as his success is much different than my own, but I think those successes are still should be valued the same. There still mm. should be like you know what, both of you are succeeding. Yeah,
1: general. yeah. And do you find as well with you know with that um, view of what success is, has or has has your personal view or your your view as a collective as well? Like has that changed? over you know the past like say five years for example like I suppose what I'm trying to ask is did you ever kind of see your success as very like what's pushed you know by societal type of you know impacts and things like that and is that different to how it is like how you see your success now
0: absolutely I think definitely when I was young um My, the idea of success that I had was that I would get a job that paid a lot of money, that I would have a car, and that I would be a mother, and that I would be married and have kids. Like, that is kind of the whole, the whole idea of success that I had for myself. And then I laid out all these plans and all these steps on how to get there, like what schools I would need to take, what kind of uh, careers I should be looking into. Um, and then even as I got older and I started thinking about like seeking relationships, I even saw relationships as, oh, who's going to bring me closer to this goal. Right. Like it Mm. was like, and, and I think people were kind of viewing me the same way, or at least that's how I thought they were seeing me. Like I needed to show that I would be the most successful wife possible basically. I would be displaying myself as like, I have all these achievements, I can be successful for you, I can be your accessory almost, is what, is how I viewed myself, is that I could make the other person look better, is what my Mm -hmm. goal was. Since, um, since actually getting into university and since my diagnosis, I have learned a lot about myself and about my system and about where that motivation came from. Like, all that motivation for those successes was brought on by this this fear that I wouldn't be accepted in society, that I wouldn't be accepted by people unless I followed that narrative of being a wife, mother, businesswoman, whatever, whatever it is. Like, and so now my idea of success is that I'm happy, is that I wake up and I don't feel bad. I wake up and I'm like, you know what? I'm happy that I'm awake today. My Mm. idea of success is that I'm able to do my artwork um, and that I'm able to share my artwork and that people are seeing it and connecting with it and enjoying it and also that I'm with someone or people, whoever, that I'm living with people that make me feel good and make me feel happy and validated and secure. That's that's mm. where I'm at with my success. Um, yeah, and I I think once you always meet your your goal of like success, you should always be trying to push a little bit more. So I'm mm. still trying to reach that point of like stability and getting my art work out there and things like that and working towards my art degree that's all part of my goal of success. But then once I get those things, I'm like, okay, well, now I need to just push a little bit farther, but not too mm. far, right? Just mm. keeping it just enough to keep me going, but not enough to freak me out or overpressure myself into trying to overachieve something, you know?
1: Mm. Mm. And and do you think as well that with, you know, with those measures of success, I mean. Do you see that a lot in society, like, do you think that there's a a big difference really that's being pushed between what success is for white people versus what success is for black people?
0: Yeah. Mm. Like,
1: Like, how, like, what would you, like, really say are the the main differences, I suppose, that that you've noticed at least um, as to how it's kind of pushed in in society and the media and everything like that?
0: I would say one of the biggest differences is, like, there's a lot more acceptance for white people to go into these, like, really creative directions with career and things like that. It's like this idea that, oh, there's this individual who's really artsy, they want to go to art school, they have wealthy parents who are, like, business people, and they're able to go and do their artsy thing. Whereas black people, it's like, oh, you need to be successful in the sense that you're, like, running a business, or you're a CEO, um, that you're in a position of, like, ultimate power, or something like that, and Mm. I think there's, like, less acceptance in general for artistic pursuits, at least that's just from my perspective as being somebody who is in the creative kind of field, I see that, you know, there's so much more support for white people to be able to to reach those goals and those dreams whereas with black people it's either like sports or it's like sports or business or nothing like a like a stereotypical career kind of path Mm. or nothing Mm. um it's it's just less accessible than from what i'm seeing
1: Mm. and especially like with the ideals that black people should be uh, becoming, you know, business people and things like that, there really isn't opportunity to start off with for that because, again, those jobs, it's it's like having white people have one idea versus what they would actually hire. It's like they say black people should go into this profession because it's like some form of, you know, Breaking, breaking that stereotype or, you know, breaking the, the ceiling type of thing. But also if they themselves were the employer, they still wouldn't hire a black person. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's like it's, it's very much so with a lot of things at least that I've, you know, seen is it having a mindset that has two very opposing ways about it, like at once type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like Mm. everything, like that can be for everybody, but not for me is the Mm. kind of mindset they're thinking of everybody else in terms of like, this is how society should look to me, but I'm not going to participate in that. I'm still going to stick with my ideals.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think as well, it's very similar, I guess, for mental health, but when, when it comes down to more, um, misunderstood I suppose conditions like you know dissociative identity disorder in this case it's because of the stigma around the disorder um as well that there really isn't a you know a deemed path for success by society like is that is that something that ever was worrying or scared you at the time of receiving diagnosis that you know from any type of, um, you know, movies, any, any media that you'd really heard of about the disorder, was it kind of scary for you when you found out that you had it, that you were just like, what, what is my, is my path for success? Like, am I even going to have a path for success because of this mental health condition?
0: Absolutely. There was a lot of fear, something that will always stick with me when I was first, exploring my mental health and the possibility that I might have DID, I confided in a friend being like, hey, I think I might have this disorder. I'm seeking professional opinions, but like, I'm really scared because I'm not sure what it means. And then she said to me, oh no, don't worry. You don't have the, you don't have DID because people with DID can't function. Oh my gosh. And that just on my, on my bad days, that, that sentence sticks with me. People like that can't function is, Mm. is something that weighs me down sometimes just because of the, the sentiment of that, that
1: Mm.
0: as soon as you have this label on you, as soon as you're diagnosed, it's like a death sentence. It's like... Mm that's it. That what you were, what you wanted to be isn't anymore. Your accomplishments and everything that you've done and worked for are nothing anymore.
1: Mm.
0: And I was, when I, I was in a lot of denial for a long time when I got my diagnosis, I was really scared because I just thought, like there's, there's no way I, I'm going to be able to do the things that I want to do now because of this diagnosis, because I have this, this burden on me because I'm not normal because I can't function. Like that mm. is the kind of feeling that I get and what, what worries me about my potential for success, I guess. But at the mm. end of the day, I, I just try to remember that, you know, that even though she was a friend and I'm sure she, in her head, that sounded comforting. I know that, that people with DID are incredibly resilient and talented and and amazing people. And that because I think that about everybody else with DID, Mm. there should be no reason that I don't think that about myself. Mm. So whenever I'm, I'm looking down on myself and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I just try and think, well, what if I was a different person? What if I was saying this to somebody else? What would I say to somebody who was like me? And then I mm. take that towards myself, and it allows me to be a lot more compassionate towards myself.
1: Yeah, that's a really, that's a really great attitude to have. I, I find myself, yeah, very, very... Like, when I am down in the dumps as well, I'm just like, you know, I I can't accomplish anything, like, because I have this d- disorder. And then I'm like, well, no, like, I don't say the same thing about other people with the disorder. Mm-hmm. I need to uplift myself as much as I uplift them, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the same goes as well for, you know, my blackness. Like, feeling, though, because of a lot of things society says about, you know, people of colour, that I'm not going to, amount to you know success because and I suppose that's a, very much the crossover between being unemployed at currently because then being on on disability benefits is that being seen as that type of black person you know yeah. and that I'm never going to amount to anything in life and then realizing that no I am succeeding for myself like if
0: yeah. I
1: don't have to follow anyone else's path except for my own and granted yes that's easier to say than to do but it's yeah it's always something that's important for, for others to remember and e- even within like the like the community like is in the DID online community it's it's something that needs to be I guess pushed more is that ability to succeed in the sense of success being whatever you deem it to be yourself rather than being like you can succeed in, you know, job X, Y, Z, like type of thing. It's like, no, success is what you determine your own success to be rather yeah. than the stereotypical, you know, Western narrative of things, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm. Mm. And I guess um, a question I was thinking of as well before is do, like, how have you found interacting in, in you know in DID like online um online groups or circles or like anything really like as in how have you found that when it comes to your race and improvements I suppose you know and and tips that you could probably give to to any white systems on how to kind of be more compassionate towards black um black systems and and people of color like how would you kind of put out any advice towards them
0: I would say the best advice I would give is listen is be the person who doesn't talk over or try and talk for them just be there to listen and acknowledge and validate and you know if you have questions if you have like if if you're uncertain Ask. Ask questions and listen. Listen to those responses and those answers. Like, I think the thing that is really being lacked is the voice. Is the voice and the agency of people of color and people of color with DID. Be a listener. Be a listener. Use your compassion and use your curiosity to learn more. And that's how you can be an advocate by giving those people a voice, giving those people a chance and, you know, being their support in terms of like, you know what? I agree. I validate. I, I, I hear you and all that kind of stuff. So.
1: Mm, mm, Rather than, cause I I know that some things that I've seen is that, yeah, people they're not willing to listen or being, you know, called out for like, Hey, this is, not appropriate behaviour or things like that, but it's, like you said, it's important to be able to listen and just be like, okay, you know, even if you don't fully grasp the varying levels of what racism is, to be like, okay, I may not understand this, I'll take my own time to kind of educate myself or ask about how I can, you know, do this, but I will also accept that point rather than completely be dismissive of that. Because what I see a lot in online um, did. D.I.D. circles is that a lot of white systems are dismissive but also they are calling black systems very aggressive and I suppose it's not even just exclusive to, you know, D.I.D. or mental health circles um, when it comes to interactions between um, black people and, and, and white people but it's this thing of white people getting so annoyed at the fact that black people are getting angry at them or irritated with them because it's just, you know, as a black person, this constant, you know, racism and, you know, one after another that just kind of wears you down over time, but also that you shouldn't have to put up with just to pass on this message, like you shouldn't have to, present as this picture-perfect black person in order for your voice to be heard kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally agree with that. Like, it's... Like, like it's, it's so... It makes me angry. And it should make people angry. Like, you should be mad. Like, oh, like, you're getting really aggressive. Like, you're getting too confrontational. Well, I'm mad well, I, I have a right to be mad and I want to be angry because this is unjust, this is injustice mm. and I don't want this anymore. Mm. Um, I think that's completely like that, those feelings like that, like that's even on a, such a basic level to dismiss somebody else's emotions and feelings is the complete opposite way of how you like interact and how you, calm down a situation. That's the complete wrong way to do it. It's Mm. even at a most, at the most simple level, like when you're interacting with little kids or children, if they're Mm. upset and emotional, you know, you validate those feelings. And I'm not saying that it's childish to have those (laughs) feelings. I'm not saying that at all. It's just at a very base level to Mm. validate those emotions is Mm. the right way to go and is the appropriate response. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Because if you were to look at it like from a a separate, um, you know, rights, you know, movement issue, it's like people, it, it just, you know, men that get annoyed at women for being angry about sexism, I'm just like, let them be angry like as in like you know I mean I myself identify as non-binary but as in we we were assigned female at birth so we lived up until like maybe three years ago like n- not on hormones very femme presenting so it's like I had that lived experience and it's like women deserve to be angry about the sexism that is has been endured like it's like mm-hmm. it shouldn't be you know downplayed or anything like that like let people have their anger because yes you know I'm also saying this to a certain degree because you know I'm in no way condoning the fact that you know you should be you know cussing people out or death threats or things like that but no. you deserve to express your anger you yes, know you
0: get you, get the, you have the right to in be- an
1: appropriate way
0: Like you you can be angry and you can have those emotions. You can't, Mm. you can't act on those emotions in like an aggressive way in terms of like wanting to hurt somebody or something like Mm. that. Like you can't, you can't take those emotions and turn them into actions which hurt others. I don't think Mm. that's acceptable, but to just have those feelings and to express those feelings is completely valid and should be validated. It'd be like, you know Mm. what? I hear you. I hear that. Mm. And I'm sorry even Mm, like
1: definitely yeah and that's certainly something that really you know that that really needs to be worked on I suppose within the DID community because racism isn't going to be going away anytime soon Mm -hmm. and as a mental health community that is very niche and you know it's it's the, the diagnosis of the disorder like as in it's so important that there is like that it's a safe space for everyone that it's more accessible for everyone that there's more diverse experiences because it's not just you know uh, like there are so many groups that aren't being represented in the community and that feel as though they don't have the right to kind of speak about their own you know intersectional like experiences because there are people that are you know able-bodied, white, you know, cis, the, the, the non-LGBT, like isn't that, there's so many groups and categories that fall at the very top of, you know, this hierarchy, so to speak, that kind of dictate the fact that all these other, you know, all these minorities aren't allowed to speak under the basis that these people at the top also have a trauma disorder, therefore, you know, no one else kind of has the right to speak out against them. Yeah. Mm.
0: It, it breaks my heart really that there is like that someone's will be more listened to and more heard because they're white and because they're cisgender and because they're male like their voice is just that much more powerful because people identify with it more like they they're just like oh here's the average person suffering with DID, therefore Mm. I can accept it now. And Mm. it's like it needs to be presented that way. And it just, it makes me so sad. It just makes me sad because I, because I want people of color and non-binary people and uh, other LGBT groups, like I want those people to have just a much, Represent the community as someone who's white and cisgender does
1: yeah mm. yeah yeah and what i'm really like because that that's a lot of why we you know wanted to do this project and open up this project to be you know an ongoing thing because we're not even like, you know, gonna be closing like those email email things anytime soon because we want to hear from so many voices, like as in and we're starting this office mainly just focusing on 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 black voices so we can increase that diversity and also have people realize all of the different backgrounds I suppose that people come from because Yes, while, you know, we're focusing on black voices, again, there's intersectional elements to that where we're having people uh, that have, you know, different, um, like a coma with like, you know, disorders or things like that. People who are disabled or um, physically disabled or have um, different, um, what do you call it, or identify um, as, you know, that aren't cis or that identify as LGBT, like it's so important to have those, have those elements of diversity. And then also, which I, I was really excited about when, um, when you sent us um, through the email about, about this, is that, you know, the importance of showing different success paths um, and, and not to say that, in, you know, people watching this go down this career of, like, doing arts, but more so to expand it more than what is already kind of being shown and and depicted um you know online is to be like well this person is doing this this is enjoyable to them you know like then do what is enjoyable you know for yourself and something that you can see yourself doing you know in 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 the long run or even you know at this time and not feel so pressured for you know whatever the long run is, just do something in the now that you are, you know can see is something that you're going to enjoy. So mm-hmm. I was really excited when you know you you mentioned like you know the things that you wanted to talk about because I was just like okay yes this is really this is really good and people you know for people to be able to to see this and to be able to to hear your voice and your opinions on this is so important and exactly what I believe at least is needed in the community right now after all of the stuff that's happened this year to Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, boost up everyone's, mm, I don't know the word that I'm looking for here, but, you know, just like confidence, I suppose, in a way, and just ability to realize that they are worth something no matter what they are doing.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, we're still here. We still exist. We're still thriving. This hasn't what's happened in the community and in the world at large hasn't broken us that, that we, that we are still thriving and successful and all those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a nice high point to end on. I reckon. I mean, unless do do you have anything that you wanted to add or anything you wanted to ask or definitely, I mean, please also plug all of your art stuff, you know, like (laughs) what's all of your art, um, at names, handles, that's the word. Mm.
0: (laughs) Yes, so I have a website called uh, runnyarts.com, so that is uh, the website where you can find um, my Patreon, which is Runny Arts, and then my store is on there as well, that has all of my prints that you can buy, I'm trying to get more stuff up as soon as possible, Um, and then all of my handles is all, like, um, at Runny Arts, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, I believe even DeviantArt and Tumblr as well. I don't go on there too often. I'm more active on Instagram, but um, oh, I, I am I'm on TikTok. I don't know how long that's. Oh, gonna...
1: cool.
0: <laughs> I am on TikTok as well, <laughs> um, and that's Runny Arts as well. So yeah, I'm trying to. I try to keep it as coherent as possible, so it's easiest to find me. It's all just Runny Arts, RunnyArts.com, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, no, please check it out.